That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. Happy holidays. This is my holiday edition of the podcast going to be telling some stories and I'm kind of inspired by one of my radio idols, a gentleman by the name of Gene Shepard. Now, Gene Shepard for many years had like a one hour radio show every night in New York on radio station WOR. And all he would do is get in front of the microphone and just talk just like this. But he would tell stories, great stories, mesmerizing stories. And they could be very simple. I mean, he could talk about moving a piano into an apartment and you would be riveted. You'd, you'd be driving your car and you would pull up to your driveway and you would sit in the car for 15 minutes and wait for him to finish the story. That's how good he was. Now, he grew up outside of Chicago in the 20s and 30s. And from time to time on his radio show, he would tell stories about uh, the holiday season for him and what Christmas was like and all of his exploits. And he turned that into a book, which got turned into a movie. Remember the movie Christmas Story? You have to. TBS plays it for 24 hours every Christmas. Well, those were stories based on Gene Shepard's life. And there is a narrator in that movie, and that narrator is Gene Shepard. So I thought I would sort of do my version, my Christmas holiday memories, but they're not nearly as interesting <laughs> I grew up in Los Angeles in the 50s and 60s. So no snow, you know, we didn't have anybody stick his tongue on a flagpole that was frozen. Uh, nobody shot their eyes out with BB guns. But uh, I do have sort of recollections of Christmas. And so if you're interested in hearing what Christmas was like in L.A. in the 50s and 60s, as told by someone who is Jewish, well, this is the podcast for you. When I was growing up, the Christmas season actually began the night before Thanksgiving because we had the annual Hollywood Lane Parade. Now, this was a parade that was started in 1928, basically to entice shoppers to come down to Hollywood for the season. So it would start right before Thanksgiving. And what they would do, instead of having elaborate floats and balloons, that sort of thing, is they had Hollywood stars 
in cars, and so they would just be driving through. You could stand out there, and there's Natalie Wood, and Bing Crosby would be the Grand Marshal. Like I said, it was a chance to see all these Hollywood stars, and the big Hollywood stars would participate. Yeah, that was like in the 30s and 40s. By the time you got into the 50s, Natalie Wood no longer rode in the Hollywood Lane Parade. You would get some TV personalities, basically some local TV personalities. Newscaster George Putnam would come riding up on a horse for some reason. But eventually, the caliber of celebrities was rather low. We would have people like Iron Eyes Cody and Gypsy Boots and Monty Montana, Oscar Levant, who had a local show in Los Angeles at that time on Channel 13. And I love Oscar Levant. I mean, great curmudgeon, very acerbic wit. But in his later years, he was pretty weird. And he would kind of be waving to the crowd, but you didn't know whether he was waving to the crowd or having a seizure. So that was Oscar Levant. Monty Montana was a guy who used to go around to elementary schools and do rope lasso tricks. Gypsy Boots, I don't know what the hell Gypsy Boots was. He was kind of like a hippie from the 1950s who would run around like a crazy person telling people to eat vegetables. Uh, But the show was always broadcast live on Channel 11, and the host was Bill Welch. And Bill Welch would stand on the street with a microphone, and as these celebrities would drive by, he would walk up and they would slow down the car and he would interview them. So there were these searing interviews with Gypsy Boots and Monty Montana and Iron Eyes Cody. My favorite question, he would always say to like, say, Gypsy Boots, well, what's your next project? (laughs) His next project was doing the Hollywood Lane Parade next year. That was pretty much his a project for the year. Now, I never ever got to actually go and see the Hollywood Lane Parade. Even though I wanted to, every year I would just like beg my parents, but they didn't want to drive all the way from the valley to Hollywood and know where to park and stand there and cold with the crowds. And, you know, I was always disappointed on the one hand, but on the other, it was partly a TV event, at least for me, because the fun, even when I'm seven, eight years old, is hearing Bill Welch interview Monty Montana, who is talking about his next project, which was doing lasso tricks at Van Alden Elementary School. Like I said, we didn't have elaborate Christmas decorations never snowed, and there were garlands over streets on Wilshire Boulevard in Beverly Hills and in Hollywood and uh, I think like on Van Nuys Boulevard in the Valley. That was pretty much it. And we had like a big commercial for a product called Mission Packs. And Mission Packs were these baskets of dried fruit that you would send to loved ones around the country. 
And all I can remember is any time I tuned on the TV, there were Mission Pack commercials. I don't know if they have Mission Packs today. And it always seemed curious to me why anyone would necessarily want to get a giant basket of dried fruit. And the other commercial that I remember was uh, the Norelco Shaver commercials had Santa Claus riding on a Norelco Shaver. And they used to run that goddamn commercial like 15 times a day. We did have Santa's workshop in Lake Arrowhead. And this was uh, an amusement park type of deal. Uh, Lake Arrowhead was maybe 45 minutes away from L.A., he would drive up to Lake Arrowhead, and it was lovely in the summer. And in the winter, they had Santa's workshop, and there were like elves and attractions and things like that. And remember, one year we trekked up to Santa's workshop, and you're just like walking around it for ten, fifteen minutes, and you're going, "Okay, that's it, really? Hour and a half to get here." chains on the tires because of the snow to get here and, and and this is it like giant candy canes and you know you can get gingerbread cookies really so for us that was the gala uh, attraction was santa's workshop there were a couple of candy cane lanes in the los angeles and san fernando valley area these were neighborhoods where everybody tried to outdo each other with elaborate decorations on their homes. And it was kind of fun. Every year after dinner one night, we would drive through Candy Cane Lane. None of that, none of that in my neighborhood because my neighborhood was primarily Jewish and nobody had decorations. We never had a tree Although I love Christmas trees. I love the smell of Christmas trees. Um, they were always just so festive and all. But, you know, being Jewish, we never, had, we never had a Christmas tree. I do recall when I was little going with my grandmother to the May Company at Fairfax and Wilshire and going up and seeing Santa Claus. Now, that was uh, a key scene in A Christmas Story, the Gene Shepard movie. Um, And for me, I just recall standing in this long line going up to meet Santa Claus. And even when I was, I don't know, six, seven years old, I was thinking to myself, well, wait a minute. If Santa Claus is giving presents to children around the world. Christmas is only six days away. What the hell is he doing here in a department store in Los Angeles? It's like, this, really? This is this is Santa Claus? So I was skeptical even then. But, you know, so many other kids in the neighborhood were celebrating Christmas that my parents felt, well to just ignore it and to celebrate Hanukkah that we would feel left out. So we would get our presents on Christmas morning when I was real little and still 
believe that Santa Claus did exist, although I was a little leery as a result of his appearance at the May Company. But my mother, I remember, would give me this like brochure, this eight or nine page brochure that she got sent in the mail that had all of these various toys. And so she would give it to me and give me like a crayon and say, I'm going to write a letter to Santa telling him what toys you want for Christmas. So just circle the toys that you want. I thought, cool, okay. So she was, I guess, expecting me to circle three or four items. I circled everything. I mean, other than a Betsy Wetsy doll, I pretty much circled everything. Had to be told that, well, no, you know, Santa Claus has a budget. <laughs> so you're, you're going to get just a couple of these. Another memory, again, I'm six, seven years old, and I had an older cousin who also lived in the valley, but more up in the, in the hills, named Jeff. And Jeff was a very ambitious, had a real entrepreneurial spirit at nine. And so I would go over there and we would take a Saturday afternoon and we would go up into the hills and pick mistletoe, put them in giant bags. I think they were mistletoe. For all I know, we were picking poison ivy. I'm a stupid kid. I don't know. And then we put them in his wagon And we walked around the neighborhood and sold mistletoe. And I'm tagging along. I don't know what's going on. I have no idea. Why are we in the mountains? Why are we picking these weeds? Why are we schlepping around the neighborhood? Why are we knocking on doors? But I did appreciate the $3.50 I got as my share of peddling mistletoe. Actually, I did better with the mistletoe than I ever did when I sold Amway door to door. In those days, there weren't a million Christmas songs, but one that came out in 1958 that became this huge sensation was the Chipmunks Christmas song. They played that on the radio every five minutes. And I have to admit, Although I don't like a lot of Christmas songs, I still love the Chipmunk song. All right, you Chipmunks, ready to sing your song? I'll say we are. Yeah, let's sing it now. Okay, Simon. Okay. Okay, Theodore. Okay. Okay, Alvin. Alvin. to elementary school in Reseda, Van Alden Elementary. Monty Montana would come once a year and and do his lasso tricks. And we would always have our Christmas pageant. And of course, 
in elementary school, it's not like you sign up for the chorus. No. Every class has to participate. Every class has to sing. So we're always singing, you know, the classic Silent Night and Little Drummer Boy, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, you know, the standard fair. And the pageants usually lasted about an hour and a half. Oh, my God, what must it have been like for parents to have to sit through all of that? But then when I was nine years old, we moved to West Los Angeles, and I went to Carthay Center Elementary School, and that neighborhood was predominantly Jewish. I would say 99% of the school population was Jewish. When it was the Jewish holidays in September, they would just close the school because there would be like three people <laughs> in the entire school who would come and were not Jewish. So they would just cancel it. So now we have the pageant in a predominantly Jewish school, and all of a sudden the playlist got cut way, way back. Gone was Silent Night, and Gone was the Little Drummer Boy, and anything that was uh, particularly Christian was cut out. And so the only songs that I can remember singing were the Christmas song, you know, chestnuts roasting on an open fire, which was written by Mel Torme, who was Jewish, and the Chipmunk song. Okay, fellas, get ready. That was very good, Simon. Very good, Theodore. Uh, Alvin, you were a little flat. Watch it, uh, Alvin. Alvin. On TV, there were always holiday specials. There were a lot of variety shows back then. Singers would have their own variety show, like Andy Williams and Perry Como and Steve Lawrence for a while. They pretty much all dinosaur. They all had their one-hour variety shows. And they would all have their holiday editions. And the best was always the Andy Williams show. Because Andy Williams would gather his family together and it was always so warm and loving and so treacly. I think one of his kids was even named Noel. I mean, it was just like off the charts Christmas. And he would have his lovely wife, Claudine, this beautiful French girl with big doe brown eyes gorgeous smile and I would always watch the Andy Williams Christmas special because it was my one time a year that I got to see Claudine Langer and I had a big crush on her. Well, Claudine Langer a few years later left Andy Williams and was with a professional skier, Spider Savage and shot him to death. (laughs) Now, a few years ago on PBS, they were rerunning Andy Williams Christmas specials you can imagine how funny those were in light of future circumstances. I miss Claudine Langer. When I was a kid, one of the big TV attractions was The Wizard of Oz finally made it to television. And I mean, it was a big deal. It was a Sunday night and it was hosted by like Red Skelton. And he would announce that the first 20 minutes of this movie is in black and white. And then when Dorothy gets to Oz, 
it turns to glorious color. And I would go, color? What? We never had a color TV. No one I knew had a color TV. So I don't think I was 20 years old until I finally saw The Wizard of Oz in color. It was a black and white event, but it was an event. Bob Hope would always go overseas to entertain the troops. That was always like a a big deal. And, you know, when there was a war... He was in Korea, and when he was in World War II behind enemy lines, that was quite the sacrifice and endeavor. And by the late 50s, you know, he's going to Stuttgart, Germany, having Oktoberfest two months later. But Bob Hope was never around. And like I said, when we were little, my brother and I would get our presents on Christmas Day And on Christmas Eve, after we went to sleep, my parents would wrap all of our gifts. And this was kind of their tradition. They got out like a bottle of whiskey or something, and they just got hammered as they were wrapping our gifts. And looking back now, judging by the gifts themselves, you could pretty well tell which gift was wrapped when. Everybody has their favorite Christmas toys and my two favorites were a big plastic aircraft carrier and it had little plastic airplanes where the wings would fold up, which I thought was really cool. And then there was this electronic football game. Man, this looked so cool. I saw this the Christmas before one of my friends got this and it looked so unbelievably amazing. Basically what it is, is a football field and it would vibrate when you turned it on. You plugged it into an outlet and, and it would vibrate. And you had all of these plastic little football players and each football player had what looked like two thin strips of wax paper on their base. And so the idea was that you would set up all of these players and there was a football, which I remember was this tiny little felt thing. And you would line them all up and then you would turn it on and then the field would vibrate and the football players would like move around. And when an opposing football player crashed into the guy who had the ball then that was the end. But it would take five to ten minutes to set up every play, and it would take two seconds to actually turn it on and play the game. So it it was like great fun. The, The first day I played that all afternoon, and then I don't think I ever played it again. Because, again, like, this takes forever to do this. But, boy, that was a coveted present. I think I was about 11 when my parents finally said, okay, you're old enough. Now it's just Hanukkah, and we would get one gift a day for eight days, and usually one really nice gift per year. 
I never loved all the Christmas music, as I said, but in 1962, there was the Phil Spector Christmas album that came out. To this day, I love the Phil Spector Christmas album. Now, Phil Spector is in a maximum security prison for killing somebody. And my guess is he's probably the director of the prison Christmas show. This was a great album that featured all of the big hit performers that he had in his stable, like Darlene Love and the Crystals and the Ronettes. And he has this whole wall of sound. So each song was like overproduced times 10, but... They sounded great back in 1962, and they still sound great today. I was a teenager and you had to volunteer for chorus I never was in another Christmas pageant and I think my parents were very grateful my favorite radio station 1965 when I was a teenager was KHJ I've mentioned that a number of times and they used to have constant contests you could win cars you could win trips that sort of thing and for Christmas their promotion was the Christmas Wish contest. And it really wasn't a contest at all. You just wrote in a card saying what you wanted for Christmas. And if they selected you, then you got what you wanted. And so I would write in 
I, I want a motorcycle and I want a guitar and I want a stereo and I, I never got in and I started listening to the winners and it was all sob stories. It was all, um, this person uh, is away in Iceland and is going to miss Christmas and so the Christmas wish, we're going to send them a mission pack. I, I, I don't know. All I know is that no one was getting any cool prizes. So I tried to hedge my bet and I wrote in and I said that I had a rare form of hemorrhagic fever and as a result, I was not only bedridden, but I really couldn't move. And I had to stay in this state for like six months. And so the only joy, the only entertainment I could possibly get was watching TV. So I wanted a 24-inch Magnavox color TV. Yeah, that didn't work. They did this promotion for a couple of years. And each year I would send in one of these sob stories. They never bought it. And I noticed that KHJ was owned by RKO General, and they, of course, also owned General Tires. So one year, I don't remember what my sob story was, but the present I wanted was a set of General Tires. I figured, oh, that's, they got to go for that. Nope, never got my Christmas wish answered. As a teenager, I worked in a record store in the Valley, Wallach's Music City, which is like one of the big record stores in Los Angeles at the time. And it was great, except you'd work 12-hour shifts during the holiday week when we were off of school. And you'd have to listen to Johnny Mathis Christmas songs for 12 hours. And I don't know why of all of the people who had Christmas albums, for some reason, Johnny Mathis was the Christmas album of choice. And we would just play, you know, Winter Wonderland and oh God over and over again for 12 hours. I was working there and I was on commission and I worked 10 o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock at night, seven days a week for about a week and a half. And I busted my ass making all those commissions. I was the top salesman by six miles, and I made $355 in one week. In one week, I was rich. Then once I myself got into radio, I would always volunteer to work extra shifts on Christmas Day because I know it meant more to other people. And I would usually swap so that I could get Thanksgiving off or I could get New Year's Day off. And, and I was happy to do it. That was fine, except I had to play eight hours of Johnny Mathis, ah, but also the Christmas song. And so those are some of my Christmas memories you're going to want to gather the whole family around the fireplace and re-listen to this on Christmas Eve because I know it is so very touching. Gene Shepard, wherever you are, I hope you approve. And I'm standing by just waiting for a film company 
to obtain the rights to this and turn this particular episode into a major motion picture. Phone line is open. I'm waiting. Anytime. So that will do it for this edition of Hollywood, Holiday Hollywood and Levine. Uh, By the way, next week I'm going to take off. It's the one time a year where I take a week off. Why? Well, because people don't listen to podcasts during the holiday season. They're celebrating. I will rejoin you, however, on January 2nd, 2020. Wow. 2020. Anyway, thanks as always to Adam and Susie Meister Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolfert, Bruce and Jason Miller, and I hope you have a wonderful holiday season. I will see you next year. Bye bye. Very good, boys. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.